Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max. Thanks very much for tuning in here for the show. We're speaking on Wednesday, September 13th, 2023. Today on the show, we're digging into the New York City Streets Plan. This is a plan that's mandated to be released by the city every five years. The first one was due and put out right at the end of 2021 under the final weeks of the administration of Mayor Bill de Blasio. It was required by a law passed back in 2019 and spearheaded by then New York City Council Speaker Corey Johnson and other city council members, including the then chair of the City Council Transportation Committee, Idanis Rodriguez, who is now the city's transportation commissioner under Mayor Eric Adams. That law passed in 2019 mandated every five years for there to be a streets plan in New York City with a whole bunch of requirements to it, including a lot more bus lanes and bike lanes and pedestrian space and a whole bunch more. I'll get into a few more of the details in just a minute. The plan was released at the end of 2021 and left for the new mayor, Eric Adams, who took office right at the beginning of 2022 to begin implementing with a whole lot of benchmarks to try to meet. The law mandates certain progress. So these are not necessarily suggestions. These are requirements. Now, we're speaking about this here today on September 13th, 2023, in part because just yesterday there was an oversight hearing about implementation of the streets plan law under Mayor Eric Adams and Department of Transportation Commissioner Idanis Rodriguez. That hearing held at the New York City Council was co-chaired by my first guest today. And I have three guests on top for you in this episode. New York City Council member Sylvina Brooks Powers. Now, she is a Queens Democrat, the majority whip of the council and chair of the council's committee on transportation and infrastructure. So in the new city council that took office at the beginning of 2022, she took over the responsibility of chairing the transportation committee from Idanis Rodriguez, who then became the commissioner of the city's Department of Transportation and was testifying in front of council member Brooks Powers and other council members. The hearing was co-chaired with council member Gail Brewer, who chairs the city council's committee on investigations and oversight. My conversation with council member Brooks Powers about how the hearing went, it got a little bit contentious. I can tell you that right now because representatives of the Department of Transportation, including Commissioner Rodriguez, did not bring updated data for the city council for the purposes of this oversight hearing. And there was a variety of sort of testy exchanges between DOT representatives and council members, in part because the Adams administration is attempting to at least in part blame its lack of progress in the streets plan on city council members not showing enough support for new infrastructure like bike lanes and bus lanes. So more on that in a minute. So first today, my conversation with council member Brooks Powers. Then after you hear from the council member, I will be joined by representatives of two organizations that fought hard for the 2019 passage of the streets plan law. That will be Danny Perlstein of Riders Alliance, which focuses on mass transit riders, better service on buses and trains, as well as a variety of other related issues. And Danny Harris of Transportation Alternatives, which focuses on mass transit ridership, but also safe and lively streets, redesigning public space and 
the many modes of movement beyond cars, including walking, biking, and as I said, mass transit. Danny Harris is executive director of Transportation Alternatives. Danny Perlstein is policy and communications director of Riders Alliance. They will both be with me right after you hear from council member Brooks Powers, who co-chaired the Tuesday, September 12th oversight hearing on the streets plan. Councilmember Brooks Powers represents the 31st city council district in Southeast Queens, including neighborhoods like Far Rockaway, Laurelton, Rosedale, and others. She has been chair of this committee for about a year and a half. She expected to get much more of an update from Department of Transportation officials at the hearing, and you'll hear her discuss her reflections on that, but also in this conversation a lot more about what's next and how to overcome some of the barriers because the Adams administration has been struggling to meet the mandates of the law. So before you get to my conversation with Councilmember Brooks Powers, just a little more background on the streets plan law that was passed under New York City Council Speaker Corey Johnson in 2019, signed into law by Mayor de Blasio that year. Mayor de Blasio insisted at the time, and this was even pre-COVID, to push out the timeline for when the first streets plan was going to be due until the end of 2021, basically assuring that the de Blasio administration needed to do a very limited amount to get the city ready for implementing the first streets plan and then handing it off to the new administration. There was some work to do, of course, in designing the plan, just not implementing it. There were some things to put in place to help prepare the city for implementation, uh, but that has been left to Mayor Eric Adams. Now, let's be very clear. Mayor Adams was running for mayor throughout 2020 into 2021, knew all about the streets plan. He was Brooklyn Borough president. Uh, He talked about it at mayoral forums. And of course, he then named as commissioner of the Department of Transportation, Adonis Rodriguez, who had been the city council uh, transportation committee chair. So everyone uh, coming in in leadership in the Adams administration was aware of needing to implement the streets plan, but there have been some major hiccups in doing so. More on that in a minute. The bill that uh, became law and requires the streets plan was uh, passed by the city council requiring the city's Department of Transportation to issue and implement a master plan every five years with a variety of specifics that needed to be part of it. So the first plan that was issued in December of 2021 includes some of those benchmarks like 150 miles of physically or camera protected bus lanes over the next five years. So that's due by the end of 2026, along with those 150 miles of physically or camera protected bus lanes are 250 miles of new protected bike lanes. They're supposed to be 1 million square feet of new pedestrian space created just in the first couple years of the plan. And then there's a whole bunch of other elements, specific things like 2,500 bus stop upgrades. So that means things like benches, shelters, real-time passenger information. Also 2,500 accessible pedestrian signals at intersections. It mandates the Department of Transportation to include in the planning, developing parking policies to promote the master plan's larger goals of safety and mass transit use and reduce
reducing vehicle emissions. So there's a whole lot of elements here to this plan. If you want to read up on the details, you can, of course, find it online. Before we get to Councilmember Brooks Powers, just quickly, the Adams administration over the first year and a half here under the mandates of the plan has struggled in some respects, most particularly in building out the new bus lanes. And that's where there's really been very limited progress. According to the first major update on the plan put out by the city's Department of Transportation in early 2023, in 2022, the benchmark target under the streets plan was 20 miles of new protected bus lanes and the city completed 4.4 miles. So that's 4.4 miles out of 20. Now, the city was more successful in coming close to the uh, benchmark on protected bike lanes, which was 30 miles. And according to the Department of Transportation, it built out 26.3 of the 30 in 2022. So those are a couple of examples, but the city is definitely behind on implementing the streets plan, including what people see as perhaps the most important piece, which is the bus lane to get the city's notoriously slow buses ridden by a majority of lower income people, people of color, uh, get those buses moving faster. And we've talked about that here on the show before. So that's a sampling of sort of what's in the streets plan, some of the halting progress on pieces of it, There's a variety of other portions of it. You can look at the specifics of the streets plan online. You can also look at the progress reports that the city's Department of Transportation has put out. Now, I'll say before we get to Councilmember Brooks Powers very quickly that the Department of Transportation at this oversight hearing that was held on September 12th declined to provide updated numbers for this year, saying that right now in September, they're actually in the middle of the broader implementation season and they want to give their updates at the end of the year or in February when they're mandated to. Now, that was clearly a bit of a dodge, but also there's something to it that they have a lot of projects underway as they build things out in the summer and into the fall. So the city is behind on its requirements to the frustration of many. There's also lots of critics of the streets plan and these major changes to the city streetscape, of course. Uh, But there's a lot of questions about implementation and what's happening in the Adams administration around these. And that's what we're getting at here today. What's going on with the streets plan? What are the problems and what is the path ahead? So let's get to these conversations with my guests. And so I'm very pleased to be joined now with New York City Council member Sylvina Brooks Powers, who represents the 31st City Council District, including several Southeast Queens neighborhoods that I already mentioned. She's held the position since winning a special election in February of 2021 after her predecessor, Donovan Richards, was elected Queensborough president in his own special election. And then in early 2022, when the new City Council class was seated after the full round of 2021 elections in the city, Councilmember Brooks Powers was named Majority Whip of the Council and Chair of the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee by the new City Council Speaker, Adrian Adams. Very pleased to have the Majority Whip with us now. Councilmember Brooks Powers, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Ben. So um, you co-chaired this hearing the day before we're speaking. We're speaking again here on September 13th, 2023. So on the 12th here, you co-chaired this oversight hearing that also considered a variety of pieces of legislation that we'll maybe touch on. 
But this was a hearing to really check in on progress under the streets plan law that was passed in 2019 by the city council, then signed into law by Mayor de Blasio, as I said earlier in the introduction. Uh, It has a bunch of requirements that the city, led by the Department of Transportation, needs to make progress on over the course of the five-year plan. So you held this oversight hearing, as I mentioned in the introduction, it it got a little uh, intense right off the bat, really, um, with the Department of Transportation representatives not really giving you answers that you expected them to have on their progress on the streets plan. So before I say anything else, give us your sort of broad impressions of how the hearing went and and how you felt about uh, bringing in representatives from the Department of Transportation and what they had to say about the progress on the streets plan. Well, I have to admit, I was definitely disappointed in the lack of preparation by the Department of Transportation. Um, there, the, This hearing had been planned and the agency was aware of the topic, not to mention the council has sent several letters trying to really get an idea of how far along the agency is in meeting its mandated goals. And, um, you know, we we feel that it's important to continue to, to check throughout the year so that when February comes, as the commissioner had laid out, is the end of the year where they feel they're in a good position to share numbers, that they're not saying, well, we didn't meet the goals because of one thing or another. We want to be able throughout the year to make sure that they're meeting some sort of milestones in order to achieve the the requirement mandated by law. What's at the root of what's going on here? Is it that there's been such struggles uh, making the the progress that's mandated under the law that the Adams administration led by the Department of Transportation is, um, you know, sort of uncomfortable coming under account for that or they're making excuses or they're trying to, uh, as we saw, obviously, even in the introductory testimony from Commissioner Rodriguez, sort of put the onus back on council members to say, hey, we need more of your support to identify bike lanes and bus lane, uh, you know, sites and political support as we move through the process. What's going on here, big picture from your vantage point? What do you think is at the root of of all this? The other thing I I, I do want to say in asking that question is, (laughs) I I will acknowledge that this was a tricky situation for the Adams administration to come into, right? This was a law passed in 2019, so this was no surprise, but the de Blasio administration made sure that there was no streets plan in place until they were on the way out the door, right? So this was something that was put into the lap of the new administration. Now, Mayor Adams was Brooklyn Borough president. He knew this was there. He knew this was coming. He was asked about it on the campaign trail. And and to your point, the commissioner, who reminds me all the time, was the chair of transportation (laughs) (laughs) at that time. So I'm, I'm not trying to make excuses. I'm just rounding out the picture here because there's a lot of dynamics to this, right? But what do you think sort of big picture is going on here? Are they struggling operationally? Are they too timid politically? What's going on? To be honest, we were looking to try and get to the root of that in the hearing. We wanted to understand um, if you've paid attention to the hearings in the past, we've asked even during the budget season, 
Do you need more resources? What is it? Because there have been times where the agency has said, well, there's a supply chain uh, demand issue. Other times we've been told it's because of staffing shortage. It just continues to be uh, a theme in terms of the agency deflecting. Mm-hmm. And we are trying to be able to be helpful and be co-partners in this to help them achieve these uh, these mandates. And I thought it was unfortunate to hear the agency try to deflect the blame on the council members for delaying the progress because the truth is the responsibility falls on DOT to comply with the law. And they have to work collaboratively with the council members and the community that they represent to be able to advance street safety infrastructure. There are many examples where I can point to DOT going into a community and installing a bike lane or installing a a street sign, whether it's no standing or something of that sort, with with little to no um, conversation or if there is conversation with the community, they're doing still the opposite. So to say, well, we're not doing it because of council member um, pushback, I think that's unfair to say when there are examples that we could point to that regardless of the pushback, the agency has still continued to do what they intended to do. And so I think where the agency needs to be is needs to be in the spirit of collaboration, working with the members and understanding because, um, like, for example, for me, I know one would like to make the narrative that I'm more in support of one aspect of transportation than the other, but the reality is I'm not. I am looking at it holistically as the chair. And so it's important to me for the agency to work in partnership with the community to get it right. Mm-hmm. And when you say that, Um, I I assume that gets back to some criticism you've gotten from some advocates and others that you're too focused on the needs of of individual car drivers and not on sort of the the bus and bike infrastructure. That's at the essence of the streets plan. And then, of course, other work of your committee and the council. Say a little bit about sort of how you balance what you see as sort of the needs of your constituents in your district, which every city council district is unique. But maybe you have not that this is an actual phrase, but you have one of the most unique city council districts and one of the most challenging uh, geographies. Um, And, you know, the the location of it so distant from the sort of city core, so to speak, Um, say a little bit about and, and again, none of that means that your constituents don't need especially fast moving buses. Right. I mean, that I, I, we I feel absolutely like, you know, do. <laughs> yeah. so. So we, but say a little bit about how you sort of balance your your district, the citywide needs and, and this law, uh, you know, and, and some of those sort of tensions and challenges um, that you're balancing as the chair of this committee. Absolutely. And so with District 31, I often say that its uniqueness is we reflect New York City and its diversity. Um, When you think about the composition of District 31, we have people who are dependent on cars predominantly, but we do have people who bike. We have people who are reliant on reliable um, public mass transit as well. 
And so we get we have to advocate for it all because we have constituents that that utilize all of those different modes of transportation. Where I lay focus is the communities that have often been left out of the conversation. For many years, you've had the conversation that focused on equity and access, but those communities were not really represented in that conversation. And um, and so we've been shifting the conversation. What I love about what has been happening since being chair is when you talk to the advocates, when I first met them, when I was appointed, they weren't saying communities in Southeast Queens or parts of Brooklyn that in transportation deserts. But now if you listen to the messaging that they're using, they're starting to invoke that. And so the, the goal is to really lift up the voice of those marginalized communities, the ones that have been left out for so long to make sure that we are also centering those needs. And those communities are low income communities, outer borough communities, communities of color. These are communities that have seen far less infrastructure investments um, and attention. There are roads in my district at the start of my tenure that had no lines in the middle of the street for years. Some of them hadn't been mills from some of the constituents telling me for like 20 years. We've been overlooked. And so the conversation, how I speak about transportation may make some folks feel uncomfortable, but for me, it's about really centering equity and access for all New Yorkers. Um, and, and so that is important to me. And it doesn't have to be necessarily a mode that I um, utilize either. So, for example, the ferry. <laughs> Fun fact, I'm like terrified of, of the ferry myself personally. Mm-hmm. And my constituents, they want access to a ferry. And so I have been championing that. There are communities in the Bronx that would like to, to see um, additional ferry access and as well as in Brooklyn and working um, in partnership with my colleague, Councilmember Farias, um, who is the chair for the Committee on Economic Development. We've been working towards that goal also. So it's really about lifting up the voices, having greater access so that New Yorkers are able to get to the economic centers, the better schools, the cultural institutions of New York City. Mm-hmm. When uh, a, a couple of things you said that, that I want to come back to, but it, it does remind me of some of the comments from Commissioner Rodriguez, and as you point out, uh, the former chair of the city council. Transportation Committee when he, he was term limited out at the end of uh, 2021 and, and then was appointed by Mayor Adams as Transportation Commissioner in 2022. Um, he was, uh, and this is not really new commentary, but at the hearing was was pretty adamant that uh, the Adams administration is frustrated with city council members about sort of lack of that collaboration, lack of help identifying places to execute the streets plan. And in some semblance saying, uh, we're going to we're now going to be providing you with a survey and we want to know specific locations in your districts and sort of putting some of the onus back on council members. So my questions are, A, does he have a point? Is there a lack of sort of political will and help among council members generally uh, to help implement the streets plan with its bus lane, bike lane requirements? And it's much more than that. Those are like the two top ones that that people mention. But as I said in the introduction, there's also mandates around 
intersection redesign, pedestrian space, and, and a whole lot more. Bus shelters, all of that, yep. But mm-hmm. yeah, so, so, but on the sort of some of the most controversial pieces and the biggest changes of sort of the physical landscape of the city with the bus lanes and the bike lanes and even the pedestrianization uh, requirements, does he have a point around political will and, and help in the council? And B, what is your sort of reaction to the way that he put that back on you and the council members in a way that's sort of saying we were shifting responsibility here? At the end of the day, I think we could spend all day pointing fingers at each other. I will say I do have a good working relationship with the commissioner who I served for a short period in the council with. But the reality is there are mandates in place. The agency must meet those requirements. And in order to do that successfully, they must be able to work with the local member and the member in the in the community as well. And once we get that done, we are we'll be able to achieve them. I won't say that we haven't achieved anything. I, I can talk personally for my district. There have been um you know efforts that I've had to work closely with the agency um, to address For example, on the North Conduit, which has been very fatal in recent years in terms of what's happening there, the department came out and assessed the area with me and the members of my community. We talked through solutions short and long term, which are now we're working towards implementing. So that's proof in a pudding that working together collaboratively, we can achieve the goals of creating safer streets, working with the community and a local member if the agency comes to the table. And that's what this is going to take. And we are not seeing um, enough of that. And and to be fair, in in the hearing, we were trying to understand why that is. What needs to be done so that the agency could be able to move forward. But unfortunately, they did not come prepared to share that information with us yesterday. So I hope in our follow-ups this time, we'll be able to get some real answers so that we know how to move forward. It struck me um, on the flip side of that question that uh, there's been reporting that it's in fact the administration itself that is susceptible to a lot of sort of political uh, considerations and interference from allies of the mayor and people um, who work in the mayor's office, uh, you know, sort of interfering with progress on certain streets projects. Is that actually the is that actually more the problem? And they're sort of projecting that onto the council in a way. I mean, we know, obviously, that sometimes council members will look to alter or hold up certain projects. Maybe there's some good reasons at times, um, but. In, this, in the Adams administration, there seems to be some pattern of also that very issue that they're sort of trying to point at the council about. Do you think that's more of an issue that needs to be dealt with about what's happening internally in the administration? And again, this is like some of these are sort of finger pointing and political questions, right. but, but <laughs> clearly, but no, but clearly they have very real impact on the very details of the streets plan that we're talking, you know, that we're, that we're talking about and that you were talking about at the hearing. So is that a problem the administration needs to work out itself, actually, before it points at the council? So at the end of the day, I don't know what the administration, um, how they prioritize what they do and the decisions they make. 
But what I do know is that they're failing to meet the the mandate that they need to make. And that's where my my focus is. Um, I try not to get in the middle of the the finger pointing because I don't feel like it's helpful. Um, I'm looking for solutions and I'm looking to make sure that we're achieving safer streets. Um, That's that's the ultimate goal for us. And when you talk about balance in, in this committee, unlike the transportation in years past, this committee has a larger focus because not merely transportation is transportation and infrastructure. And so our um, purview has been expanded and there's, there's so many priorities that have to be taken into account, um, whether it's a matter of the the mode of transportation and in terms of the access to that or how our street designs are and um, and so much other areas. So our scope is much larger and this is just one element of it, but it's a critical piece of the conversation. And it's so important for the agency to come to the table and really tell us how many bus lanes, how many bike lanes um, have been installed for this year. If you remember in past hearings, we also asked will they be able to also account for the shortage from the year before, which means that what they should be working to achieve this year is even higher than the mandate because they fell short last year. Um, and so that that's where my focus is right now as it pertains to so what, the street yeah, plan. So, so I totally understood. So so let's so let's look ahead then. So to get more progress on meeting these mandates, what do you think? think is what what's your impression of what's essential here so uh there's going to be much more of a progress update come february as the transportation officials said they said they are still in the middle of implementation season before the you know winter weather comes in a couple of months obviously some of that was deflection we've we've covered that but Mm -hmm. that's what they said there will be updates coming in the months ahead um but from your vantage point what would be, do you think, the most helpful pieces to move more ahead of this quickly? Do you think the DOT still does need more resources and to hire up? Um, obviously, the mayor just issued a peg about budget reductions and a hiring freeze. So there's conflict there. But is your impression that um, hiring and resources would be essential here? Is it just uh, sort of more ec- focus on execution and implementation? Do you think this survey will yield results that Commissioner Rodriguez said will be coming to all council members? What do you think are the most important keys moving forward here to get more implementation? And that's obviously, as you're saying, that's really what your main focus is, is getting this law, uh, the mandates of the law actually met. Absolutely. Thanks for that. And one aspect that they gave us a little glimmer of um, line of sight to yesterday was, for example, some of the contracts um, that they're trying to um, procure that have been more challenging than they expected. So things like that, we imagine contribute to um, some of their delays. I noticed yesterday, I did not recall hearing anything about um, staffing shortage 
And in our budget hearings, when we asked if they needed additional resources, the commissioner had shared at the time that they did not. And so I know that the council and the administration have been have been partnering together to do these job town halls, um, job fairs across the yep. five boroughs, um, where in some agencies it's been helpful in increasing the staffing. But unfortunately, because of the lack of information yesterday, it's really hard to pinpoint what that is. And so for me, how do we achieve that? We achieve that by um, ensuring that at a minimum, we're meeting the goal for for the year. Because as a part of Local Law 195 and the streets plan, they are required over the next five, over five years, 150 miles of bus lanes, for example, with 20 miles in the first year and 30 miles in the subsequent year. So we need to understand how we want to be a partner. The council wants to be a partner to make sure that these are achieved, but that can't happen if we're like stonewalled with information. And so right now we're focused on getting that information to see what further the council needs to or can do to move this along. And do you think the survey could could be helpful or or is that not going to be met well by council members who are frustrated? Um, I, I, can't, I don't want to speak for my colleagues. I know for me, um, the survey is just adding another step. What they do with that information, it would be interesting to see. Is this something that's going to help accelerate projects? Because I've done, as you know, uh, a tour in almost all of the council districts across the city. And there have been times that we've reached out since those tours and said, well, this district wants a bike lane here. Well, this district needs um, attention with another issue. And in some cases, they've been resolved, but in a number of them, they have not been. So by doing the survey, how is DOT looking to to use that information? Or is this just adding another step to, to get more time? I'm not sure. Last few quick questions for you. Uh, and I'm speaking here with New York City Council Majority Whip Sylvina Brooks-Powers, who represents the 31st City Council District in Southeast Queens and chairs the City Council's Committee on Transportation and Infrastructure. Uh, as I said, there's 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 a lot of pieces to the streets plan. You added a couple others as I was listing off some of them. The bus lanes and the bike lanes often, again, get the most focus. Not to go into a lot of detail on it, but is there one other piece that sort of flies under the radar of the streets plan that you are most either interested in or is something you think is really important that doesn't get enough attention? Is there anything you're sort of focused on in the streets plan that sort of flies under the radar too much? Um, yes, definitely. So the the transit signal priority is important as well. I don't. I think we could talk more about um, pedestrians and and what pedestrian safety looks like as well. Um, and having like the the installation of those traffic signals, I think, could be another mechanism to help save lives and keep pedestrians safe as well. So that's that's another one. If you notice, I, I often focus on um, infrastructure when we talk about this because infrastructure, I believe, goes a long way in terms of saving lives as well. Mm. 
you had one bill in the package that was also at hand at this hearing. It requ would require the Department of Transportation to promote equity and in infrastructure investments mm -hmm. as part of the streets master plan. It would uh, require the inclusion of an investment roadmap as part of each master plan that's issued, uh, starting with the next one that's due at the end of 2026. The commissioner made a few comments about it I, from from I didn't listen to the entire hearing. So forgive me, but I caught a bunch of it. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't know if you got any type of commitment from him. But what when I heard at, at least from him initially was, um, you know, some shared commitment to equity and so forth. Um, what's your after the after the hearing, where are you at on sort of the bill and trying to get support for it? So I think it's an important bill um, in terms of being able to assess um, the equity aspect of the infrastructure investment that's going to come as a part of the streets plan. And with the Department of Transportation, they consider prior investment from 2011 to 2021 in their equity analysis when they're calculating their priority investment areas. But the inequities date back far before that. And so I'm really excited about this bill and what it can do. So while the agency has made steps towards having greater equity, we want to um, codify this effort and help to, to really move um, the Department of Transportation and, and its implementation of street plans to make sure that capital dollars are really being spread equitably across the five boroughs. So I think that, you know, this is a great bill. I'm going to be working with my colleagues to, to support the bill. Um, and we'll keep this an eye bill, on that one. Yeah, this bill is going to actually require them to explain how their roadmap will increase the investment levels in under-invested areas as well. So mm -hmm. really excited. Lastly, okay, we will keep an, keep an eye on that and, and other bills that were discussed that we won't get a chance to talk with, but wanted to ask you about your bill in particular. Um, lastly, as we say goodbye and thank you for the time again, you have a separate bill uh, also relates to infrastructure and equity, of course, but mm -hmm. you have a separate bill that's actually coming up for a vote this week. We're speaking here again on uh, September 13th, Wednesday, on Thursday, September 14th, 2023, there will be a vote in the committee on parks and recreation at the city council. And if the bill passes there, the full body of the city council, you have a bill that relates to the Department of uh, Parks and Recreation doing a swimming pool assessment and location survey and swimming lessons uh, offered by the Parks Department. Say a little bit about that bill and uh, its likelihood of passage, and uh, then I'll let you go. Thanks, Ben. I'm very excited about introduction 962. As someone who represent a, represents a coastal community, um, and one that lacks the swim infrastructure. This bill um, is one that is going to, my hope is to open up access to swimming infrastructure so that more New Yorkers have the ability to learn how to swim. And as well as not just merely swimming, how to be safe around water. And so the bill is going to require the, the Parks Department to do a surveying of where um, the current sites are in terms of pool infrastructure and, and to identify suitable locations as well. And they'll assess the ongoing capital needs of the pools and update the assessment routinely. And so this is something 
that is a game changer, I feel like, for communities that um, have for generations been unable to have access to pool infrastructure nearby their home and have to either travel out their community if they have the resources to do so or not have that access alone. And this was an important bill for me because last year, if you remember the two young boys that drowned in Jamaica Bay, it, yes. w- it was something that was really heartbreaking for me. And every year we know we have drownings along Rockaway Beach and Jamaica Bay. And so for me, I was trying to find ways on how do we educate our kids and New Yorkers in general about swim safety, about how to swim and how to be safe in the water. And so this bill, I hope, is going to be very transformative for New Yorkers across the five boroughs. And I, yeah. you know, I'm looking forward to its passage this week. Yeah, really, really interesting piece of the bill, including um, the Parks Department being required to uh, work with the Department of Education on opening DOE pools to the public and uh, free swimming lessons at at indoor pools um, that the Parks Department has control over. That bill is one of three bills related to uh, swimming and water safety uh, and beaches and lifeguards uh, that is very likely to pass the city council this week. Um, So a lot going on at the council related to uh, trying to take on lifeguard shortages, water safety, reduce drownings, increase uh, swimming uh, proficiency among young people, and so forth. All right. Thank you very much for the time. New York City Council Majority Whip and Chair of the Transportation Infrastructure Committee, Sylvina Brooks-Powers. Appreciate the time. We'll check in again down the road. Thanks, Ben. Have a great day. But listeners, don't go anywhere as we say goodbye to Councilmember Brooks Powers, chair of the City Council Transportation Committee. We are continuing the conversation about the New York City streets plan and how the Adams administration and its Department of Transportation is far behind on the mandated progress on that plan related to bus lanes, bike lanes, and much more. In just a moment, I'll be joined by two leading advocates on the issue of the streets plan and transit equity, pedestrian space, street safety, and so much more. In just a moment, Danny Perlstein, Policy and Communications Director at Riders Alliance, which is a nonprofit organization that works and organizes with bus and subway riders across the city looking to transform public transit so it works for all New Yorkers, improving reliability, improving service, and so forth. And I will be joined by Danny Harris, the Executive Director of Transportation Alternatives. Both Danny's uh, coming back to the show uh, have been on before, but not for a little while. Transportation Alternatives, also a nonprofit organization that advocates for safe, equitable streets in New York, has been uh, organizing for 50 or so years in the city and uh, was also a leading driver behind the streets plan law that was passed in 2019 that we're talking about here because the day before we're talking, uh, which was on Tuesday, September 12th, 2023, the New York City Council held an oversight hearing on the progress or lack thereof 
on the city of New York meeting the legally required mandates in the New York City streets plan that was passed in 2019, an initial plan put out in late 2021 in the final days of the de Blasio administration and left to the Adams administration and the Department of Transportation led by former city council member Donis Rodriguez, who was a leading driver behind the streets plan law himself as chair of the council's transportation committee under city council speaker Corey Johnson, who really spearheaded the streets plan legislation. Uh, left them to implement it, and it is not going particularly well thus far. But of course, there's plenty of time for them to catch up. And so I am happy to welcome back back to the show representatives from two organizations that fought very hard for the 2019 passage of the Streets Plan Law, Danny Perlstein of Riders Alliance and Danny Harris of Transportation Alternatives. Thank you both for being here. How are you? Well, thank you, Ben. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, doing well. Thank you so much. Great to be here. So I'll prompt you the first couple of times, including your last name, so people get to know whose voice is who, and then maybe we'll take it away from there. But uh, happy to have both Dannys with us today to talk about these important issues. So uh, we're speaking here the day after the city council held this oversight hearing on the streets plan law and how the Adams administration, its Department of Transportation is and isn't meeting the mandates of the law. Again, this law passed in 2019. Uh, There was a lot of lead time for the then de Blasio administration to work with the city council and others on the plan. It was released at the very end of the de Blasio administration, handed over to the Adams administration. There were no surprises there, right? Mayor Adams was running for mayor while all this was being uh, designed. It was discussed throughout the mayoral campaign. He was Brooklyn Borough president when it was passed. The Transportation Commissioner, Idanis Rodriguez, was the chair of the City Council Transportation Committee uh, and a champion behind the streets plan. But now the Adams administration has gotten into office a little more than a year and a half, and we're seeing very stunted progress here, with both which both of your organizations have pointed out. So just Each of you, from your perspective, you obviously have some very shared focus areas, but also somewhat different at times uh, focus areas. Say a little bit from your perspective, sort of 30,000 feet, uh, and and Danny Harris, why don't you start? Uh, Where are we at on the streets plan law? What are you seeing sort of big picture here? What's going on and what are the challenges and barriers and problems with living up to the mandates of the law right now? Thank you, Ben. I would just start with with the sense that New York City currently lacks a vision. Uh, We have so many incredible tools at our disposal. And you look simply at the streets plan and congestion pricing as the two largest accelerants, sort of generational change opportunities that we have in our midst. And, And this mayor is not taking advantage of them towards building the city that New Yorkers deserve. And look, what we're talking about with transportation is not simply you know, riding a bike or a bus or, or taking a subway. These are obviously critical pieces, but you know, transportation is a leading cause of greenhouse gases, gas emissions in New York State. You know, commute time is the single biggest indicator of moving people out of generational poverty. So whatever the vision is of this mayor, which we're still trying to, to determine what that is, if it's about racial equity, if it's about the environment, if it's about economic recovery, then transportation is a critical part of it and we have these tools that are currently you know, not being utilized to their effectiveness. And the result of that 
is that you know we have uh, conversations like yesterday, which show that the administration uh, at, at best is not collecting basic data sets and forcing advocacy groups like ours to go out and find them. And at worst, they are so far behind the requirements that they're choosing not to share where the data is at this point. And so the result of that, you know, at, at the street level is that you have a 66-year-old grandmother in Bath Beach who's walking with her grandchild and is and is killed by a, the driver of an SUV. And it's now the, you know, we're on track to have one of the deadliest years in Vision Zero, one of the deadliest years in recorded history for cyclists. And again, we have a plan that's not being utilized. And what we're getting is excuses and far-off promises instead of the delivery of projects today and tomorrow and the day after. I mean, under this administration that's allegedly supposed to get stuff done, we should be going from groundbreaking to groundbreaking on these projects where there's resources in place, there's a legal commitment, and instead we're getting excuses that we can't even collect the data about projects that are or are not happening. Danny Perlstein? Sorry, that's exactly right. Um, you know, Mayor Adams promised bus riders not just to meet the mandates of the streets plan, but to exceed them. I believe he promised cyclists the same thing. And he has championed these issues, you know, for a long time in public office. And of course, Ben, as you said, is very familiar with the requirements. And sure, there were some labor issues at the outset of the administration. There were some materials issues, but the administration simply has not hit its stride. It's not hit its stride here and it's not its, hit its stride in many places. And you know, some of that is is, you know, the ongoing crises of various sorts that the mayor cites. But some of that is the administration not getting out of its own way and and blocking projects that city officials, civil servants, people paid to do this work by the taxpayers doing it for many, many years, finding themselves stymied by cronies of the mayor. People arbitrarily given a veto contrary to the fact that it's the mayor with whom the buck stops on all these issues, the mayor who controls the streets, the mayor who at the end of the day is responsible for complying with the streets plan law. Either of you who wants to jump in, was there anything with the design of the initial streets plan? Was there anything with the conception of the law um, that has proved too challenging for the administration? Was this, you know, created at a time where people were, you know, it was obviously uh, past pre-COVID. Now COVID has opened up lots of thinking about ways of using streets and public space in, in different ways or accelerated how people have thought about changing uh, the streetscape and the city's landscape. And even Commissioner Rodriguez talked about ways that the Adams administration has been pushing ahead on some of these initiatives that are not included in the streets plan, like outdoor dining. Um, but was there anything about the sort of conception of the plan or even the development of the first plan, which was released in a sort of post-COVID world at the end of 2021? Anything about it that's proved too challenging? Is there anything about it that needs to be rethought? Are there ways that either of your organizations are having conversations with council members or the mayoral administration about ways that anything about the law or the first plan needs to be tweaked given what we've seen these last couple of years? I would say the opposite, Ben, in that in many ways it's not ambitious enough. You know, when we look back to many of these transformations that started under the Bloomberg administration with Jeanette Sadi Khan, you know, the notion there was was, you know, to to pilot 
and to, to move quickly and to break things, but ultimately to prove a model. And now here we are, you know, decades later, and we're still, you know, in many ways, a startup city that refuses to scale. You, you can take a look at the, the amazing transformation of Times Square or 14th Street Busway, or look at the protected bike lanes or even city bike. And there is an infinite amount of data that proves not only how successful they are, but how they're good for business, how they move people around, how they uh, help to save money. Um, so we have the data, we've proven the case studies, but you know, 14th Street Busway is incredibly successful. It doesn't run the length of 14th Street and God forbid you do it on 23rd Street or 42nd Street or 125th Street or on Fordham Road. So ultimately the streets plan was building and locking in the success of what New York City has already done and, and working to roll it out everywhere. But, you know, when you look at a place like Milan or London or Paris, and I know New York likes to be its own city, um, cities are leapfrogging us around the world. And New York City has, you know, been on the front line of this work across the country. And the streets plan was meant to give New York City the tools that it already has and to scale them across neighborhoods. And while it's a, a great first start, it's actually, it won't get us to where we need to. We need something that's even larger than that. That's why connection with congestion pricing, this is where we really need bigger ambitious leadership about having asphalt be an asset. So we advanced 25 by 25, which is a plan that we, we, we built out and Riders is on board and over 200 other partners calling to repurpose 25% of our street space by 2025. Mayor Adams was one of the first to sign up for this when he was running for office. So again, we view this as an incredible first step. We realize the city has its set of challenges, but in many ways it's not the streets plan is not visionary enough to show what's possible to New Yorkers on a daily basis. Yeah, it would be one thing if they had met their mileage mandates in the law and we're looking at the what's next part of the streets plan, right? There are parts of the plan from December 2021 that are more transformative than the mileage, but also somewhat vaguer, like what to do to, to price parking, for example. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the basic inability to do as well as the pandemic era de Blasio administration did in speeding up buses at critical places in the city and, and similar things in, in other categories of the plan work. Right. Not only are they not, you know, achieving, you know, building on the vision, you know, of, of Jeanette Sadiqan, they are not achieving what the end of the de Blasio administration did during the middle of the pandemic despite what everyone claims about de Blasio's inability to get stuff done. I mean, g give me either collectively or individually, give me sort of like your, your, your top three reasons in order of why the Adams administration is so far behind and sort of the flip side of each of those reasons obviously could be the solution uh, to, to advancing the mandates in the law, the basics of the marquee items of, bus lanes and bike lanes, but then also the pedestrian space and many other things that are included in the streets plan requirements and the streets plan iteration number one itself. What are the top three reasons the Adams administration and the city overall? I know the city council passes a, a, a bill into law. The mayor signs it or lets it age into law or vetoes it, obviously. Um, and then it's up to the mayoral administration to execute it. But I do think just as a prompt to this question about what are the biggest impediments here, I do think there's something 
to the argument that the Adams administration makes that Commissioner Rodriguez was making at the hearing the day before we're speaking here about needing more city council support, buy-in, proactivity, uh, countering, you know, voices that oppose any changes to the streetscape, et cetera. So there's a little something there that I want to sort of include in the question, but it's mostly about the mayoral administration. What are the top three sort of in order reasons you think the city is so far behind and how do you spin those forward into solutions? Danny Harris, you want to start? Yeah, I mean, I, I would put political will as, you know, one through 10. But, you know, <laughs> if, if I'm going to expand beyond that, it's um, look again, the city has no vi- this mayor has no vision that he's rolling out to to New Yorkers of what New York could be. I mean, look, I, I'm a I'm a stroller parent, first and foremost, I, I can't take the subway that's near my house. The bus still doesn't allow me to to put a stroller on. You know, I have to leap over huge puddles. I, I'm terrified when I'm across the street with my children. I mean, I, I can't ride a bike in most places. And, and I'm a transportation advocate. So my day-to-day experience, and I have parents who are aging in place here and, you know, raising three children, is I see every day how much the city is failing me just, just moving around. And so what we're not doing as a city is actually presenting what's possible and how these changes that are actually rolling out from, you know, giving the, the mayor credit for uh, improving things like uh, intersections or, you know, 24 seven speed cameras. There are tools that are actually working now that are improving the lives of New Yorkers every day. And again, they're not just through the lens of transportation. We don't need to get into the specifics of, you know, um, how many feet or uh, daylighting. Um, so in a way, in the absence of the vision, in the absence of showing how it's going to impact New Yorkers on a daily basis, it makes these things so much harder because people are still going to come back to, well, it's, you know, we have these failing systems and people may have been asking for years for a stop sign, you know, a council member may be asking for five years for a stop sign from DOT and they haven't delivered. And now DOT is trying to present a bigger vision of what's possible. So, you know, you need a mayor who has a vision and and is going to show people, you know, again, New York is a tough town. I, I don't doubt that at all. And bringing this scale of change is incredibly complicated, but, in the absence of the vision, in the absence of showing people in real time what's possible. And again, with congestion pricing happening, this is the perfect opportunity for the mayor and the DOT commissioner to start rolling out bus projects and bike projects that say, we're presenting to you in real time ways about how you're gonna be able to get out of your car and move into the congestion zone. I mean, the mayor has no plan for that, that even ties to, and here's how we're gonna get people back to Midtown. All of these things come together from, again, the political will, the messaging and delivering to people almost a PR campaign on a daily basis. This isn't just a I love New York, we love New York. This is how is New York actively working to try to make your life better, whether you're an older adult, you're a child or, you know, you're you live in outer boroughs and you're trying to get to work every day. Yeah, I think that, you know, the mayor has has set a different tone and, and part of that. I think was characterized by his his last chief of staff, Frank Caron, is, is that he canceled cancel culture, right? That he came in and he allowed people and things sort of to bubble up and to happen that wouldn't have been allowed in the past, you know, in order to sort of let New York loose and, and fully flower. But the opposite has happened, you know, to the planners, you know, to the civil servants whose job it is to get stuff done on a daily basis at the level where it actually happens on the ground. And, you know, it's become a city of no for those folks. 
right? The reason that Idanis Rodriguez had to come to the council yesterday and say, please, council members, tell us where to put the projects, we don't know, is that so many of the projects on the original list have gotten shut down or run into political trouble, right? Doors keep getting closed when they all should be getting opened. The folks who have been trying to do this work well for years should have been, you know, unleashed. You know, if there were people mm-hmm. to override, they should have been overridden, you know, whether they were bean counters or, or you know, agency attorneys or whoever, to really, you know, get the city like humming and, and scale it up. And instead, they've been stymied and, and they're My- incredibly frustrated. And, and so are we. Right. And I think. My- yeah, yeah sorry. go ahead. No, please. No. And I think I think, you know, the answer, the answer is, and I think we're we're our groups are all going back to this is is to organize. Right. And to say that these are critical issues, they need to be top priorities, and that VIPs with access to grind can't be the folks shutting down policy in this city. So, yeah. Ben, can I just jump ahead. on that? Please. So, I mean, I think the other piece in, you know, building off of, uh, of Danny's point is, you know, we're also in a city where this mayor is allowing a referendum on safety. You know, we have no shortage of data about where the Vision Zero Priority Corridors are. And, you know, in my now starting my fifth year in the job, I, I've been to more vigils than I can count. And, and each of them, there's, you know, promises, many of which are empty, that this street will be redesigned. And we still have to go to vigil after vigil in the same locations. I mean, in Bath Beach, Sama Ali, a seven-year-old, was killed on her scooter going to a playground there and years before there was another child who was killed. So, you know, and, and we're opening up the door like we have on Fordham Road or on McGinnis about a referendum on safety. You know, the projects that we're talking about are also things that keep New Yorkers safe. We have rising death count, rising levels of serious injury. And we don't go to a neighborhood and say, do you want a fire hydrant on your street? Or should we, you know, should we keep the fire station open or shut it down? But for some reason, when it comes to safe streets improvement and giving people more options, we allow for this public referendum and a you know, endless community meetings and somebody who has business interests but stands to have their driveway blocked, they can, you know, make a direct line to the mayor and stop projects that are actually putting people at risk. I mean, this is a completely different category of operation than any other thing in the city. Sanitation doesn't ask, do you want your garbage picked up? The cops don't ask whether we should police on the street or not. But for some reason, DOT still has to go block by block in this trench warfare approach to make even the most basic changes in the aftermath of a child getting run over. This is ridiculous. Well, as this gets back to um, what Danny Perlstein was just ending his comments on was getting back into the organizing that both of your organizations do along with um, along with others and elected officials in some capacity. And that's actually what I, where I was going next was asking. So do you have enough elected champions and sort of who are they? I as you both know, spoke with council member Savina Brooks Powers, who chairs the council's transportation and infrastructure committee. Um, She was holding the administration to task at this oversight hearing. She has uh, outlined a series of, you know, letters requesting information that she's written and the lack of responsiveness expressed a lot of frustration, Uh, even with some of her own sort of trepidation around some of the changes in the streetscape. She is at least saying publicly that she 
wants and the administration needs to meet the mandates of this law. It's not optional. She said that very clearly at the hearing as the administration officials talked about goals. She said these are not these are not just goals. These are mandates in law. Um, but do you have the right champions in place? It, it seems to me there's a bit of a gap there from when this law was passed and you had the city council speaker himself spearheading this law into passage uh that there, there's some missing link here you have you know a variety of elected officials who will join you at a rally like you had before the hearing about saving the streets plan uh by getting greater implementation but is there a gap there in terms of the borough presidents for example or um you know nothing will substitute as you both gotten at for mayoral leadership clearly but beyond that, is there a gap there in elected officials? And, and is it because, uh, as you're getting at, they are torn among constituents, especially often listening to the ones who will show up at a meeting to oppose something and are sort of some of the loudest voices where the people who will benefit from things often don't even know about, you know, the proposal? Well, I, you know, I wasn't there myself, but I did watch footage of a rally with Antonio Renoso demanding the McGinnis project be built. And we saw that in order to to slow it down or to modify it, uh, they brought out the county leader, um, you know, uh, Revenice Bashat, the assembly member. And so, you know, there's there's always somebody else to come out of the woodwork when there is a champion. And when there's no champion, there's this, set, you know, sense of, well, there's no consensus. So how can the mayor act? But the test of leadership is acting when there's no consensus, right? If the mayor wants to truly deliver and distinguish himself as a leader, he has to act in the face of opposition. And even when that opposition is important, even when that opposition is noisy, if he wants to get stuff done and move the city forward, he has to take that risk and he has to lead anyway. Um, you know, I think that Unfortunately, with the streets plan, we did see a little bit of this coming, right? This mayor has his issues. The previous mayor was very uninterested in transportation, and that was a big issue. But the reason that Corey Johnson sponsored the streets plan law was because of the immense amount of pushback that he, as the council speaker, had to withstand from his own constituents with the 14th Street busway. And he saw that if he, as the speaker, was having to go through that comparative misery, that individual rank and file members would have it even worse. And that was the value of having the projects put together in a plan. And indeed, you know, de Blasio had to go in and put in the Jamaica busway over Danique Miller's objection and put in the Flushing busway over Peter Ku's objection. So de Blasio had a record of building projects in council districts where the members were opposed. He went and did it anyway. Um, Adams has taken a different tack and, and is wait, demanding. Wait, you're giving de Blasio more credit than uh, than I thought you might? Okay. <laughs> you know, at the at the end of the day, de Blasio was at uh -huh. the end of his term, maybe. And he, you know, he listened to the to the department. He saw the popularity of 14th Street when it finally happened. And he brought it to Queens in particular and also to Brooklyn. And he listened to his transportation commissioner. Danny Harris, before you jump in, let me just add, you know, to to my my sort of prompt and my point that when you look back at the sponsorship of the streets plan law that passed in 2019, not only did you have the city council speaker, Corey Johnson, spearheading it, but you had Adonis Rodriguez, who's now the transportation commissioner. You had several 
council members who went on to be borough presidents, Mark Levine of Manhattan, Antonio Reynoso of Brooklyn, Donovan Richards of Queens, they're all sponsors of this bill. Uh, a variety of other people who are still in the city council, not to mention the two other citywide elected officials are on this bill, Brad Lander, the controller and public advocate, Jamani Williams. Um, so it's interesting. And, and I know a lot of these people show up to lend their voice on different projects and, you know, are around and, and still invested in some ways in seeing this through. But again, listen, there's a lot going on in the city. Uh, obviously the asylum seeker crisis has, has, uh, soaked up a lot of attention and resources. Um, but it still does seem like there is, uh, something of a gap in, in sort of political leadership around these issues right now. Uh, Danny Harris, you want to jump in? Yeah, I, I, I agree, Ben. I, I guess I would, I would maybe shift the answer in a slightly different direction, which is, you know, what's really striking to me is especially when we go into districts that are, you know, transit deserts or those that have incredibly high levels of fatalities or serious injuries, and and in many ways, what we see there is one, there's a you know there's sort of a, a, a lack of trust in the city, or there were promises made that weren't delivered, and so there are very, you know, honest responses about how the city needs to to be more receptive and also to to deliver, especially to the communities that have been forever left behind for you know an infinite number of reasons, including they're they're the poorest neighborhoods and they're the most non-white neighborhoods, but at the same time, you know, in those in those meetings, what we've, what we've ultimately done and we've allowed to happen, especially among our leadership, is that, you know, our leaders are great at just allowing us to, you know, endlessly accept failure of New York and to spin it as, you know, we're strong and we're resilient or Frank Sinatra plays in the background. There's sort of this ongoing sense that we're not, uh, we're not worthy of actually having nice things. And so in so many ways, that's been internalized in every New Yorker. But where I do see, you know, how that translates into into more political powers, you know, look at healthcare workers. Healthcare workers have the longest commute times in New York, and when when you start to actually work with the groups that are on the front lines who are impacted by this, and they're seeing every day that you know their buses are, are taking them two hours to get from from the Bronx to the you know the hospital centers in Manhattan, you know, these are more groups that we need you know, to be working in partnership with, to be standing up. And, you know, the same as it relates to, again, going back to office vacancy rates. I mean, there's a reason that people don't want to go back into the office. And part of it is because they may be comfortable at home in sweatpants. But the other is, is as they're thinking about their commute again, um, it just seems, you know, untenable or, or uh, unsustainable to go back on these incredibly long routes for two to three days a week. And, you know, as a result of it, people may be switching their jobs or how they're thinking about working. And meanwhile, you have the engine for you know, New York City's uh, economic growth is in Midtown and it's an area that's also dying. So when we take these elements together, we we simply need more of the voices that stand to benefit from these transportation changes. And again, that they're not just transportation advocates to be working with us. And you know, we're incredibly grateful that we, you know, we have strong relationships with many of these groups, but these are also, you know, the constituencies that need to be reaching out and speaking on behalf of the streets plan and on behalf of congestion pricing, because they also stand to benefit from it. I don't yeah, that's exactly right. You know, we have our work cut out for us, I think is, is what that says. And that's always been true. And, you know, we have a sort of an earlier wave of, of Riders Alliance members who are now in office in parts of the city that had 
historically poor subway service and, and got active and then got elected. And I, I see on the horizon that happening again, as it does in so many other movements, you know, from housing to criminal justice reform. Um, I don't want to keep it too long. A couple more questions. Uh, one is, is there something here about sort of the the public capacity issue and the sort of even with a streets plan, so much of the of the project by project uh, uh, slog that is not only just making sure that things move so slowly where you get, you know, in some ways, just shockingly limited progress on some of these mandated goals, um, you know, just a few uh, protected bus lane miles when they're supposed to be 20 or 30 in a year. Um, but but something about this that not only do, not only is is there a very slow implementation of what is supposed to be implemented, but it also really starts to sort of chip away and undermine just the overall mission and and the appetite for it. And and is there a solution to that? You know, right now the mayor is obviously uh, demanding savings plans from all of his agencies, a hiring freeze. So there's real challenges in terms of the public sector capacity. And at the same time, obviously, we still have a very big, robust public sector uh, in New York City government. But it strikes me that, you know, the more that this still remains a lot of project by project fighting and that that progress moves so slowly, there becomes not only sort of questions about the capacity and the political will, but there becomes this sort of undermining of the larger sort of vision and discussion here. How do you sort of see those pieces coinciding? And is there a uh, any insights in terms of the Department of Transportation uh, function for implementation that really needs to be brought to the fore here when we talk about both public capacity and public sort of attention and will? Well, I mean, if you look right now, especially as it relates to bike lanes, so you know, the city fell behind in its mandate. They were um, they finished just over 20 of the 30 that were required this year. They have 10 that we have recorded as being completed and another 40 that are in the pipeline. So, you know, if the city does what it says it's going to do and it's on its agenda, then it'll meet its goal for this year. It'll still obviously have to make up for last year. Mm -hmm. But when we start to look at the specifics, I mean, even just take a McGinnis Boulevard, you know, what you what you have, especially in the absence of political will, is you have an entire agency or a, a significant part of the agency that is going and regoing and reengaging with certain voices in the community time and time and time again over months or years or in some cases even decades for a project that ultimately lacks the political will to happen. So, you know, resources, I I, I we know the resources are challenging. We know they're going to get more challenging, but it doesn't help when the mayor is not weighing in uh, in support of the DOT to advance these projects. And they're just now needing to add all this additional time and staff resources when they're already at a limited capacity. So if the focus is getting stuff done, then let the DOT get stuff done and let them move through their 40 miles and then let the mayor and, and the commissioner make the phone calls that they need to and pursued a difficult set of projects. We're not naive to believe that there isn't strong pushback. And you just simply look at McGinnis and Fordham Road as great examples. And at the same time, what Fordham and McGinnis and, and these other projects, including Ashland, are showing is that if you don't like a project, 
you call the mayor or the mayor's office and you get the project watered down or killed or you know in our world ultimately what death means is that we're going to continue to study the problem which ultimately means they're going to push on it until you know advocates stop looking at it or the community forgets about it and it just sort of enters into the ether of nowhere within city hall after so much money has been spent i mean the irony is that it costs a lot more money to delay a project. This, it costs the city a lot more money when the project is delayed. And so the mayor has put, you know, close to a billion dollars behind the streets plan, which was the estimate that would be required to transform the DOT and get stuff done on a larger scale. Uh, but now that money is in some cases being not spent, but in other cases being overspent because the projects aren't finished. And that, you know, is an unconscionable waste and is demoralizing. I think, you know, on a broader level to move beyond move beyond the um, piecemeal nature of the work, though, requires changing the culture, which is what the streets plan is supposed to do. And, you know, in order to make that happen, though, there has to be a certain amount of facts on the ground. And that's why these projects are precursors to that. You know, we've seen citywide or statewide legislation passed only after there are a certain, you know, degree or scale of accomplishments in facts on the ground. And you know, I think it's important in most cases that they come first so that people do see that DOT is in their communities and caring about their communities and, 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 and you know, kids all over New York um, rather than only certain kids um, and bus riders everywhere, obviously, rather than only people who can afford a car or, you know, have a short subway commute, you know, into very transit rich areas. Are we there? Uh, yeah, sorry. No, go ahead. No, jump in. So I was I, well, I was just going to say before I ask you one final question each about something that's not a, a directly the streets plan, but but of course just about everything in the city it, it can be related to how the, how streets are designed and public space is used. Um, I just wanted to ask you each: Is there anything about the streets plan or any piece of it um, that we haven't mentioned that you just want, want to point out? That's something that you're either thinking about or your organization is focused on, or a piece of the larger discussion that you know is too often overlooked. Um, you know, there's many aspects to this plan. Uh, the, the bus lanes and the bike lanes are always sort of at the top of the discussion, but there are many other pieces to it. Um, is there anything related to the streets plan, its implementation, uh, the pieces of it that you want to uh, comment on before I ask you each a final question about about something else? But uh, Danny Harris, anything you're thinking about or, or transportation alternatives is most focused on that we haven't touched on? Yeah, look, it's about accountability. You know, when when Commissioner Rodriguez in council, he was, you know, uh, an ardent advocate for accountability and transparency and making data accessible, including, you know, serious injuries, which I know we'll talk about in a moment. You know, how is it possible that this city with all of those resources and an infinite number of ways of tracking because of procurement and planning, they're not able to measure how many miles they've completed, especially in advance of council. You know, right now, uh, Danny and, and and this Danny, you know, we're out either sending individuals to go look and see if a, if a lane has been completed. It should not be the responsibility of advocates and volunteers to go block by block and see what the city's done. And this is a much larger problem that we're seeing across transportation. And I would imagine across the administration, the absence of data, uh, uncapped data sets, data that's being withheld, uh, commitments to release data that don't happen. I mean, simply what one of the big pieces that we're doing at Transportation Alternatives is going and finding or requesting data sets 
and working to make them public. So we did this with spatial equity. We've done this with serious injuries. I mean, the administration needs to be held to task, especially on this. And if they're not able to show the base level of how far they're doing, this screams to a much larger problem about accountability and data within this within City Hall. And Danny Perlstein, anything you or, or Riders Alliance is particularly focused on that we haven't mentioned or anything else about the streets plan that you want to point to? Well, there's a bright spot on the horizon. I think that's always important. You know, we say don't mourn. We like bright spots. Yeah. We need to celebrate it in order to organize, you know, on the next scale. And and that is that next year it's going to become illegal to double park, like actually illegal to double park. Right now it's it's on the books, but it's unenforced. But next year the buses are all going to be enforcing against double parking, not just in a bus lane, but in a bike lane and along a bus route. And that, I believe will help transform the culture because folks who find it especially convenient to drive everywhere and are less concerned about getting in other people's way or putting other people in harm's way will have to pay. Um, And so we'll have congestion pricing to discourage people driving into the center of the city, but we will have this enhanced automated bus camera enforcement that is going to go a long way to make our streets safer and fairer and will happen citywide in a way that will help change broadly a culture of of driving around neighborhoods for a a select few when everyone else is is walking or biking or taking public transit. Definitely an interesting one to watch. I I think the the double parking situation in the city, if you you move around enough or maybe just in just about everybody his uh, community neighborhood is is pretty startling uh, and something that to me at least is, is noticeable everywhere I go. And I'm not particularly a bike rider either. So it's not about, you know, the bike lanes uh, being blocked for me particularly. It's just about how crazy uh, the streetscape seems to be. And, it, it, you know, it, it doesn't help you walking around or whether you're on the bus or what it might be that, that there's so much double parking uh, all over the place. So that's an interesting one. All right. As I say goodbye, um, how about uh, one other thing that each of your organizations is focusing on? I know you have other things. The streets plan hearing came up and there's always focus from your organizations on the details of the streets plan, whether there's a hearing or not. But there's other things going on. I know Riders Alliance has been focused on the implementation. You're both focused on the implementation of congestion pricing. Uh, I know that the implementation of expanded fair fares is coming down. And then Transportation Alternatives just issued this uh, report on uh, serious traffic injuries. Um, so uh, maybe one thing from each of you that your organization is, is focused on here in the coming uh, weeks and months that you also want to point out to people who are listening. Uh, Danny Harris from Transportation Alternatives, uh, your, your, your sort of final final point here. Right. Thanks, Ben. And thank you again for having me. And Danny, always a pleasure to be in the same space. Uh, again, in um, when Commissioner Rodriguez was in council, he called for the release of serious injury reporting. We've recently taken that information and we've, we've mapped it out. So it's the first time that it's accessible in this way where it's not only about location, but also by type. And what we found is that for every one individual who's killed, you have 11 in New York who have a serious injury. This may be loss of a limb. This may be uh, going blind. This may be losing a fetus. I and mean, these are the type of injuries that obviously are, are terrible that go on forever. And in many cases, uh, people are not, not able to work ever again. So we put out this information also just to add to the conversation on Vision Zero to hold the city accountable and also to show that you know the Bronx 
has the highest levels of serious injury more than any other borough. Staten Island has the highest level for drivers. Manhattan has the highest level for for for, uh, for cyclists. So again, we have the proven tools in the streets plan. And this is just another example where we need the city to step up and do their job. So thank you again, Ben. Sure, thank you. Danny Perlstein? For our part, you know, congestion pricing is coming. We're ready for it right now. And uh, it can't come soon enough. Um, at the same time, we want to see it done right in a robust way with the fewest exemptions, the fewer carve-outs possible so that people can have faith in its integrity and, and not be, you know, frustrated by special interests or, or exemptions for, for particular groups. On the fair fares point, like you mentioned, you know, the city added $20 million to the program last summer in the new budget. And now it's time to stretch that money as far as possible. The city is promulgating a new eligibility rule. They're proposing raising it from 100% of the poverty line to 120%. But the council speaker, the MTA fairness panel, and a lot of other leaders around the city have pushed for 200% of the poverty level. And that's where it should be. Please make your voice heard. Human Resources Administration is hearing from folks through October 6th, and we want to be as loud as possible so that we can have as transformative a low-income transit fare discount as possible, particularly with inflation and with the recent MTA fare hike. Hmm. That's a really interesting one that's uh, that's happening now and ongoing. L- real quick, Danny Perlstein, on the congestion pricing front, as that's being implemented, I know this came up already in this conversation, but um, is there a way that you're looking to leaders at the state level, the city level, the MTA to sort of come together to say to New Yorkers, yes, this is coming, but here's the really robust sort of vision and expanded services and and rethinking of how everything works so that, that it feels more palatable to people. Like what's the sort of outlook from Riders Alliance and allies about sort of what needs to happen and when uh, on this bigger picture as congestion pricing is implemented for below uh, 61st Street in Manhattan? You know, we need our buses to be as good as can be. That's the bottom line. We need these new streets mm-hmm. plan bus projects from the mayor. We need the MTA to complete its bus network redesigns. But 85% of people already commute to the central business district by public transit. Even in the districts with the most car commuters, four out of five people are commuting by public transit. So it's not too big of a stretch to say to folks, if they really don't want to pay for that luxury, for that convenience of driving to the most transit-rich part of the United States, look to your neighbor and see how they get where they're going. It ain't so bad. Mm-hmm. All right. Interesting. Danny Harris is executive. Executive Director of Transportation Alternatives, Danny Perlstein is Director of Policy and Communications at Riders Alliance. Thank you both for the time. Appreciate it and be well. Thank you so much. (laughs) 